0: This is the annual Seattle. legislative seminar. Go, Go ahead, ahead uh, Debbie. We are ready for you to take it away. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the SCD annual legislative seminar. We are honoring today all of our members who, so graciously and selflessly and tirelessly, to right. Go past John accompanied to right. me and um, our president and other leaders on our virtual trips to Capitol Hill. And so we're gonna be spending some time with that, but to kick the event off, Sheila Young, our president and I recorded an interview with one of our dearest friends in the Florida legislature. Her name is representative Anna V. Escamani, And she is such a warm, caring, wonderful person. We had her speak to us just, as, just right after she won her first term seat And she was filled with optimism and excitement. And what was so wonderful about this, when she ran for her second term, there was some concern that she might not win. And she won with a very respectable showing. And so we're gonna play this interview. And I tried to frame questions that would help all of us and get us to know her and see from her perspective, how we can best build relationships with our legislators and present our in our issues to them in a way that will give them the impetus to move forward in a meaningful way. Because sometimes we can get help from a legislator and it doesn't necessarily mean legislation. So without any further ado from me, you're now going to hear our interview with Rep. Representative Anna V. Eskamani, who is the legislature representing the people here in at the wonderful area of Orlando. Take it away, Rick. FCB, this is Debbie Grubb and President Sheila Young is here with me and with us via Zoom is representative Anna Escamani. And if you remember two years ago, she was a brand new um representative within the florida legislature and she came and wowed us with an excellent presentation and it seemed good to me and to sheila too to have her back because she's had a very successful two years and she won her bid for re-election by a significant majority and so all of us are so proud of her and we congratulate you representative eskamani on on such a, a wonderful thing so thank you <laughs> so we um i'm going to stop talking in just a minute and let the woman of the day speak with you all we are meeting by way of zoom because our legislative seminar when we are hearing um this recording representative escamani will be within sunny die the last day of the session of the 2021 legislative session in florida so we're just so pleased that you've had time to join us this evening and um we would like we'd like to to ask you a few questions we want to just pick your brain a little bit and we're going to begin we're going to begin by saying what is the most important truth that you learned during your first term as a member of the florida legislature uh, that will remain with you for all time
1: Oh, that's a great question, Debbie. And thank you again so much for the invitation back. I, I wish we were together in person, but I'm super hopeful by the time uh, uh, folks hear this, that the vaccine will be more readily available and, and we'll be able to get back to a new normal um, and-, and see an end to this pandemic. But to the heart of your question, you know, a lot of lessons have been learned in these first two years. I, I think probably most importantly is that advocacy matters. Even if you can't control what happens in the chamber, you can absolutely have an impact in the community around you. And and everyday advocacy and pushing for issues that are important to you and your community does transcend into these walls, and it does impact policy. We, we've been able to make some bad bills a lot better or even stop them completely. And we've been able to see some good policy come out of the process. But I, I think what's most important on the advocacy front is to make sure that we're not just limiting ourselves to legislative session, but we're also being advocates throughout our communities. And in particular with the COVID-19 pandemic, there's been many occasions where, you know, we have fought for unemployment for Floridians, working with folks who live with disabilities to access their benefits, knowing that uh, there's often delays with folks on SSI to get their stimulus checks from the federal government. So we've been working overtime as advocates for just everyday people, not always on legislative policy, but on everyday services from government entities to make sure folks are able to survive and, you know, have the 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 benefits that are rightfully theirs. Um, the last thing I'll say too to this great question is you, you gotta You can't take things too personally in this process um it's pretty remarkable the uh, the number of of republican lawmakers in particular that i adore as humans but i hate their bills and to be able to debate them and to vote down on their bills and to ask tough questions but then still be able to call them a friend i think is a really important part about a functioning democracy and and I, I try my best to model to model that approach in my daily life and in my work as a public servant.
0: I'm so glad you said that because that's been a belief of mine throughout all the years I've been kind of doing this thing. So why don't we continue on with this thought, Representative Eskimani? and why don't you talk to people no matter in whose district they live, no matter where they are, once session closes, how can we continue to be connected to our our legislators and how can we make sure that our issues whatever they are get on and stay on their radar screens
1: well you know it's it's another great question the best time to really connect with your lawmakers is when they're not in session and i say that because when we're in the middle of session things are moving really really fast we have uh, uh, new bills coming out of committee. We have our own bills that are getting agended into committees. Um, we have amendments for filing. We have so much happening, and we have to be continuously you know on and, and activated to respond to all that's all the mechanisms within session. and And unfortunately, if you are just talking to your lawmaker for the first time during legislative session, unless there's a bill you're pitching that you've worked on with another lawmaker, for example, it can be really hard to see results because unless something's already filed or unless there's a specific budget request, um, it might just be too late to actually pursue policy on that issue. It's also important that you build a relationship with your lawmakers. And I, I do think that most lawmakers um, uh, listen to their constituents, but um, it's, it's more impactful if you've built a relationship over time where they recognize you and they trust you and they see you as a as an expert on the issues that you care about so when session ends one of the first things folks should be doing is reconnect with their lawmakers you know um if there's a specific policy issue that you're happy with or not happy with that came out of that session or something you want to see debated in the future session talking to them uh, setting up a, a phone call um you know talking to their staff but especially that lawmaker post session is when it'll be a clean slate so it's an opportunity to get new issues heard to pursue um, a, a, a budget request for the future and then when session starts again in 2022 you're going to have those relationships established where it won't be a first call if you are contacting them about a bill moving right now during that session the one thing i want to add though for folks to remember is that we are approaching redistricting and so this is a really important time because it's when the U.S. Census data becomes available to us and new maps are drawn to reflect different districts. So, you know, I represent District 47. That's gonna look very different in 2022 and won't have, probably won't have the same number either. And so doing whatever you can to also be engaged in that process is super important, but just know that some of your lawmakers might change in the in the 2022 cycle so uh be ready to start rebuilding new relationships in case there is a, a new person representing you or, or trying to represent you in office
0: thank you and um continuing on with this path give us some pointers give people some pointers who have never really connected with some the, their their district representative in the florida legislature what are some of the best ways to do that?
1: Well, personal stories have a huge impact. And, you know, I do think just from the perspective of the, the history of the disability rights movement and uh, the impact that uh, uh, national policies like the ADA has had on, on, on state policy and on, on the everyday lives of people. And of course, you know, also knowing just the lack of funding Florida puts towards uh, adults who live with disabilities or children who live with disabilities personal stories are what could add an important perspective to some of these data points. Because if you are a lawmaker who has never experienced living life with a disability, or you don't have children who live with a disability or friends who do, then you, can, you might be a little out of touch on these issues. And you might not really have a lot of empathy because you've never really thought about it. So I, I think in any type of advocacy that you are pursuing, if there's a way to integrate personal storytelling to really highlight and lift up the voices of directly impacted people, um, that is essential to being a, not only a, a compelling advocate, but uh, to helping to move the needle on specific issues. Um, and so that's that's my first piece of advice is consider how do you integrate personal storytelling into the topics that, that really matter to you. Um, and then again, I, I already mentioned this before, but relationship building is really important. Um, and do what you can to make maintain- Maintain that relationship. You know, I if you are if you are a user of social media, um, follow those accounts online of, of your of your elected officials. Um, you know, tune into the Florida channel and and listen in on what's happening in the legislature. There's also some great um, local NPR programming that's focused on the state the state legislature. Um, there's some great websites out there that cover state politics that can help you stay informed. That's the other piece of advice I'll give you is you want to be an expert on your topic. And ideally, if there's a specific issue you care about, you want to know everything about it. You want to know how much money does the state spend on it? How much should they spend on it? And be able to approach those issues with both the storytelling component, but also the facts. Um, And of course, one of the biggest barriers we face in any political agenda is is money. If there's a cost associated with your request, it's really important to try to figure out how can we pay for it or to at least demonstrate the return on investment if we if we do fund a program or uh, you know I would argue that eliminating medicaid medicaid waiver waitlists for example is not only the right thing to do but it's really important as a as even a job creator because we're we're ensuring that that positions in the medical field are are being filled and people who need these services are able to um, receive them so they can be, they can be better able to contribute to society, contribute to our economy. So think about the return of investment on different topics as well as a, as a compelling point when talking to lawmakers.
0: So remember people, it's like we say, whose face and voice are you going to be within the Florida legislature and within our Florida congressional delegation? Um, back to the pandemic what do you think will be some changes that will forever be in place in terms of how the florida legislature does its business based on what has taken place during this pandemic
1: i love that question and i and i also just wanted to add real quick that you know don't forget it's when you're when you're advocating on issues you have the florida legislature but please don't forget your county commissioners or city councils all politics is local And so, of course, uh, the state ledge matters. But I I also want to remind folks who are listening, don't forget that your county commissioner has a huge impact on your life as well, um, especially on accessibility issues. But uh, but to your question, Debbie, around impact of the pandemic, you know, it's it's been a really um, tumultuous year. And the legislature uh, really, in my opinion, has some some anti-democratic measures that have been put into place because of the pandemic, specifically in regards to restricting access to testify in meetings and restricting the ability of folks to uh, be able to actually have their voice be heard. I mean, For example, in the Florida Senate, you can't even come into the building anymore. You have to testify at a civic center across the street virtually. In the Florida House, you can still testify in person, but there are restrictions on when you can sign up to testify. When a lot of advocacy groups have been unable to meet that meet that that timeline, and they they miss the opportunity to testify for or against the bill, and then of course a lot of these online. Um, uh, requirements to RCP to testify—they're not very ADA friendly, and so um, there's barriers that have, been, that have been unintentionally created, but they're still very present. And we've we've already talked to the speaker's office about it because we, we want to make it better. But uh, there's been these uh, attempts to make things safer that have actually made it harder to engage in the process. And my hope is that um, those don't stay, <laughs> like that we get rid mm-hmm. of those. Because yes. you want to make sure that the people's house is available to the people, um, you know. I, I think that there might be. I think everyone is probably going to be engaging with more online, virtual meetings in the future. Um, you know, I think you're going to see less less travel and and perhaps more more digital meetings uh, for the legislature and for and for the private sector as well. Um, definitely seems to be more of an intentional effort of just good sanitization. I mean, every meeting we're surrounded with, you know, hand sanitizer and uh, we have mask require mass recommendations in the, in the Florida legislature now. And I don't see masks sticking around, but I do think, I do think elements around just, you know, good hygiene will continue to be stressed. And I think all of us will be more sensitive to that. And then there's are a lot of policy solutions that, um, have been pursued, for example, alcohol to go, was um, uh, an, emerg- an executive order made during the pandemic to support small restaurants and businesses that were trying to survive the pandemic and want to be able to sell you know, craft cocktails and things like that to go. There are efforts right now to make that permanent. Um, so there are a lot of policy proposals that are coming forward that are, are are founded in the pandemic, but are are making different policies more permanent in nature. So um, that's just one example. But um, for me. I think it's made even more clear that issues like affordable housing, the unemployment system, um, uh, small business relief, these are all issues that have always been important, but have just risen to the top of prioritization. And so we're fighting really hard on those areas to make sure that if you need a pro bono attorney, that you have a pro bono attorney in a case of eviction, that if you are behind in rent, that you have a resource to tap into if your power is about to be disconnected, that you have uh, a, a source of funding to help you. So we've been really looking at it from the social services perspective to ensure that um, no matter if there's a pandemic or not, that people are not becoming homeless because they're struggling with the unemployment system or um, there enough jobs out there for them. So those are some of the, the the pandemic experiences that we've had that inspire us to push for permanent policies to solve these problems.
0: Thank you. and. We are, uh, as you probably know, people with sensory impairments are, especially those of us who are blind and um, visually impaired, are members of a low-instance minority. And we have some pretty complex issues that face us. And for example... Um, Right now, we are trying to find a way to make mail-in ballots truly accessible for people who are blind and visually impaired, from from A to Z, every part of it. And we are running into lots of stone walls. And so my question to you is, and that is just one example, but my question to you is, as members of a low-instance minority, and people look at us and see money, I was telling, we're going to cost you money one way or the other. Are we going to cost you money that never gives back? Are you going to make us more independent so it pays? But talk right. to us a little bit. How, how does a low-instance minority especially um, make their issues important and necessary and not just be seen as you know, that nuisances that need to go away because we're not big
1: and powerful? I, I so value this question. So my first reaction is, is what you're already doing, to organize, right? But, but be very targeted in, in who you're organizing around. So specifically for, for this issue around, around voting and access to voting, instead of contacting every lawmaker and trying to persuade 120 people to care about it, I would focus on the chair of the committee that deals with this issue. And so, in this situation and the Florida House, you have a, a committee that that is stands for Pi, which is an acronym for uh, Public Integrity and Elections Committee. And so if if the coalition of those you know, with the Florida Council of of the Blind Legislative Committee, for example, if if this group of folks came together to set up a meeting with that chairwoman and with her staff to specifically talk about this issue and to show, examples from other states or to show the fiscal really isn't that high, and, and also show from a legal perspective why you should be ADA compliant with this, and focus on that one member and put all your firepower on that one member to get them to act, versus having to kind of cast this wide net with a with a smaller group of directly impacted people. I think that would be the best way to move forward, because then you're not stretching yourself so thin where you're, you're trying to impact every lawmaker. In that case, you, you, you have your main focus on the person with the most power to do something about it and build from there. So that's, that's, that's my, my first reaction of advice um, to consider. But really, even having a legislative committee is such a big deal. Um, but again, I do think organizing around a specific person of influence is probably a, a good step to consider.
0: Okay. And my next to the last question, you are just wonderful. We are so lucky to have you in the Florida legislature and we wish you could be everybody's representative. We Uh wish we all could be your constituents. But (laughs) my question is, we as minorities, whether it's based on disability, um, poverty level, race, whatever it happens to be, there is much that we have in common. So could you speak for a few minutes about how we could see, get beyond, you know, competition for money and what separates us and link together for the common good for all people who find themselves in in a minority to, to make sure that all of our issues are heard and valued. Do you have any thoughts about
1: that? I do, I do. My my freedom and my and my efficacy is tied to your freedom and efficacy. Um, and injustice anywhere is an injustice for all of us. And so, um, I think we really have to be intentional about building power together, and realizing that power is not a scarce resource. There's plenty of it to go around, and when we lift up one another, we all rise at the same time. And one of my goals throughout my service in the legislature has been to call out a lot of the pork spending and also tax breaks that go to corporations where everyday people don't really benefit from. And I do that not because I have a a shtick against corporations. I mean, these are some of the brands that all of us love and adore that are, are really participating in some bad tax policy. But I do it because every time we give a tax break to a corporation, that's money we're giving away that could go towards paying for ballots that are accessible or reducing the Medicaid wait list or uh, ensuring that there's there's uh, um, better coverage for uh, schools that focus on, on, on young people who live with disabilities. And so I'm constantly pointing out the fact that, hey, if we stop this tax break for for the rental car companies, or this tax break for the theme parks, or this tax break for for uh, uh, some of our our biggest uh, corporate entities in Florida, if, if we didn't give them a refund, you know, in 2020, we we gave one percent of businesses in Florida a half a billion dollar corporate tax refund that they didn't need. I mean, some of these companies actually did really well during the pandemic, like the Publixes of the world. They didn't have any economic consequences that were negative. You know, they did really well in the pandemic. And then we gave them a tax break for for a very large sum of money. So I'm very aggressive on calling that out because I want to see those dollars be able to go towards these services. And so my point always is that it's, you know, it, it's not about, uh, about me versus the Republican caucus. It's really about us versus the system. And the system needs to change if every person's gonna be able to live a wholehearted life and have the ability to become independent and to experience self-efficacy and, and 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 turn collective efficacy within their community. So um, that's always in my focus and I, I do think there are plenty of resources to go around, but I think there's but I, but I think it's grounded in just the, the the money that is misspent in corporate tax breaks and loopholes that we can very easily close if we just have the political courage to do it.
0: Bravo! And my final question here before Sheila and and, uh steps in and has a couple things, um what what would you like to leave us with if you were if you had been our banquet speaker, what would be (laughs) your big closing thing that you would want us to take away from this 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 time with you if we didn't remember anything else?
1: no. well just know that you are not alone, and you have um, incredible advocates in the legislature who care about you and are fighting right alongside you. Um, I am inspired by the disability rights movement and just the, um, the resilience shown by generations of advocates all the way to today. And we are constantly in sync with our disability advocates here in the Florida legislature to ensure that A, policies we pursue don't unintentionally hurt the disability community, but at the same time, we're finding ways to empower members of the disability community and, and ensuring that we pursue policy that, that it, it supports you and that you're a part of crafting and a part of supporting. And so we're in this together. And I, I just want to say thank you again for the invitation and I, I I can't wait to to be together to be together again very soon. Well, you can be sure we're gonna ask you back. Madam President, is
0: there any anything
2: that <laughs> was that a threat or...
0: <laughs> ah, it's a promise. It is
2: a promise. <laughs> well, I have to say the only thing I have to say is I am so happy that she is my
0: representative. Uh... Absolutely.
2: <laughs> And I hope with the redistricting that doesn't change. So um I, I hope not, but anyway. I hope not
3: uh, too. <laughs>
2: well, I'll I, tell I, you,
0: spiritually, you are all, we are all in your district and we all benefit from you and we appreciate you so much.
2: <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure. If anyone needs me, my email is my name. It's just Anna.Escamani at MyFloridaHouse.gov. So please. And you're it. on Facebook. I am. Yeah, <laughs> Representative Anna V. Escamani or Facebook.com slash Anna for Florida. All spelled out. Yeah. I'm going to
0: follow you on Facebook, even though I'm not in your district. Thank you so, so much. I dear.
1: love you it. You are a real treasure. Thank you. Thank so you. Sweet. Thank you. Can't wait to talk again. See you uh, Bye-bye now. Bye. I
0: guess what we're gonna do is do our best to answer these questions, but we've got a lot to do and a little bit of time. Could, if, if you could make your questions quick without a lot of preamble, because we wanna recognize you, but we are pressed for time.
2: I'm just wondering, is there an opportunity for you to see that on the driver's handbook and getting a driver's oh license, that there is a compulsory question about a white
0: cane. There is, we are trying to get the question, well, the handbook, there are questions already in it. the problem is with the test, there is a computer database of questions and it is the luck of the draw when you take your test, which questions are posed to you and what we are seeking we have been seeking and are continuing to seek is that that question would come up in everybody's test because you're right. The white cane law is undereducated about, misunderstood, and certainly is not enforced as it should be because it is considered low in importance in consideration with everything else. Next question, Coco.
4: Well, I am actually. A couple of comments, and no, I'd no. like to ask the audience: Do we believe that we are living in the greatest state in the nations right now? We are not. Well, I'm surprised at that. I'd like to make a couple of comments. Do no. we, or actually, ask another question? Do Guys, you could America, you please,
0: could you please? Do you, please.
4: America? Do you think America is a racist country?
0: guys this we're going to no 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 i'll give you a little background and i'm going to have my say
4: 64 years ago from europe i came here as a legal immigrant okay to the greatest country in the world and what is happening on the border is a disgrace a disgrace
0: guys we really other people have questions and we have we, we do not have time for a political rally right now. So the next question, please. Yeah, wait a minute, Carl, Do you get the mic, please, and you can ask your question. Carl was the chair of this committee for many, many years before I was. <laughs> Did a wonderful job, wonderful well, job.
4: I, I want to congratulate you and everybody else who has made an effort to develop this kind of relationship with uh, uh, Representative Eskimos.
0: Thank you. That,
4: that's, where, that's what leads to success if we want some success. So thank you very much for that.
0: Thank but you, Carl.
4: I have another issue along with that though. Two years ago, we passed a resolution asking that basically the division and the Department of Education help solve the problem of many older blind people or just older people don't have the opportunity to learn or to keep up with technology. And according to my library in Tallahassee, uh, only about 25% of people over 65 use a computer. And I'm convinced one of the reasons for that is there's not the opportunity for many of us to learn to use them. That, so far as I know, nothing has come from that resolution. And so I'm wondering if we have, what effort have we made to get some activity from the Department of Education or the Division of Blind Services?
0: It was raised when we did our recent broadcast with the Division of Blind Services. And I would suggest, Carl, and I know you will, knowing you, We're having our town hall meeting tomorrow afternoon. And this is a very important issue. And I urge you to raise your hand and we'll make sure you get called on and raise it with with Mr. Doyle. And we are continuing to work with DBS and do the best we can, but we need people like you with experience and gravitas to raise these questions. So thank you. One more question. Anybody else have a question? What is going to happen next is our good friend and FCB member who also happens to be president of the American Council of the Blind is going to come to the mic now, talk to you about the legislative imperatives that we took with us on our virtual visit to Capitol Hill, and also tell you a little bit about what our parent organization is working on for us. And so Dan, please come in. and take
5: the mic. Thank you from Representative uh, Aspermani. That, that is just a wonderful presentation and you know being from East Orange County and knowing she's a UCF graduate and uh, boy she even took classes from my, my brother-in-law and Cheryl Hamels who's in the exhibit hall of uh, the first booth she actually worked on Anna's campaign. So it's kind of it's close to us and uh, it's really great to see how she's blossomed as a representative for, uh, for us in the state of Florida. Boy, this mic is pretty powerful. Um, so I want to talk a little bit today about uh, our experience with the legislative seminar. And I'm going to try to be brief because we've got a lot of panelists up here and I want to make sure everybody has a chance to speak. I just from a personal perspective, this is the first time we have ever tried doing our Hill visits virtually something that we would not normally plan on doing. We would normally have a team of eight to 10 members of the Florida Council of Blind that will travel to Washington, DC and visit their representatives and their legislative uh, aides in person with appointments. This year, we had to do it virtually. And I wanna give a, a shout out to Debbie Grubb and all her wonderful work. We ended up scheduling twenty cent, six, two six, separate Zoom appointments to see almost all of our, uh, delegation with the state of Florida and folks, it took a while. These things were spread out over three or four weeks to get time on every, all the LA schedules, but Debbie really worked tirelessly. And I think what I came away with, and I'd love to hear what the panel says, the rest of the panel says about it, but they were really, really, really good sessions with our LA's. People took much more time than they take with us in person. We had several of our, sessions that lasted as much as 45 minutes, with people really taking lots of notes, lots of good conversation, and it gave us an opportunity for so many more of our members to get involved. What would you say, Debbie? We had, what, over 20 different people that participated in the process with four different teams, and it was really, really, I think a great experience. I I don't know what it means in the future. (laughs) It scares me to death, but but I really, really thought it was a, a powerful experience for all of us and people's testimonies and stories were just wonderful. To cover the three imperatives real quickly, and I'm not gonna go into much detail, but we're really three imperatives that we pushed this year related to the legislative seminar and the Hill visits. The first one, Has one that we've been working on now for about eight years with the American Council of Blind and all our affiliates. And that is really a demonstration study uh, for funding Medicare and Medicaid for durable medical equipment for low vision devices. And so these are your handheld magnifiers, your CCTVs, items that cost $500 or more and are very costly for people that are on Medicare and Medicaid. And it's really proposing a demonstration project that would last five years for 2.5 million a year, not billion or trillion and all those numbers we hear in DC today, but simply 2.5 million a year that would allow us through working with optometrists improve people's lives, that can help them with their daily living skills, help them remain in their home and remain independent and this is a policy that we've kind of pushed for a number of years. We have been up to I think 40 or 50 co-sponsors on this legislation. It is sponsored by Bill Gus Villaracus from Tampa, our own representative here in Florida and Carolyn Maloney from New York. Uh, they are going to reintroduce the bill again this year. It hasn't been introduced yet again in this 117th Congress. So every two years is a new Congress and all bills have to start over again. So in last Congress, it was HR uh, 4129, and we have assurances that that will be reintroduced here within the next month. So our second imperative is really tied to transportation, and it's the Data Act, the Disability, Disability Access for Transportation Act. And this is really tied into the FAST Act, which is a reauthorization of the Surface Transportation Bill, which happens every five years, typically. It was delayed through a continuing resolutions in last Congress, in the 116th Congress. And so we really do believe it will be acted on this year. And the purpose of the Data Act, which again uh, has been reintroduced in this Congress, which is a wonderful uh, happening, it's HR 1697. So the Data Act has been reintroduced. And what it really calls for is kind of three different areas of, uh, of, of, um, of um, what do I call the word? Uh, significance or, or areas of priority. Uh, the first is dealing with paratransit, which is all near and dear to our hearts and trying to kind of put some pilot projects in place and eliminate some of the barriers in today's paratransit system. So these are one, having the ability to do same day scheduling for emergency type of trips you know as all of us know you can't always plan your life to the point that you can you can schedule your transportation the day before you need it so that's one thing that's in the bill uh, along with the ability for people to make a stop so you know you go to your doctor you you have a doctor's visit, They give you a prescription that you need to be filled. But if you didn't put that in your schedule the day before when you planned your trip, you got to go back home and plan a trip the next day to get back to your pharmacy, to pick up your medication. medication. So this would allow you to make a stop uh, in your trip. No, wouldn't last any more than 10 to 15 minutes, but would allow you to run into your pharmacy, pick up your drugs and then get back home. Or if you were a parent and you were trying to get your child to daycare before you went to work, you could plan on stopping dropping off or picking up your child on the way to your to your work and then back and I'll do that as all part of one ride. So that's some of the enhancements we're looking for in the paratransit system. The second area is really dealing with uh, pedestrian safety and access for pedestrians uh, with with our uh, APSs as well as the lead interval dealing with with pedestrian signals. And so this is really looking at how do, we, uh, how do we kind of ensure that we don't get left behind as transportation continues to move forward. And in the state of Florida, I think we all know this, but the state of Florida is the number one state in the country on, for pedestrian, pedestrian, easy for me to say, pedestrian fatalities and, and injuries. So there's really a lot of work to be done in this area. The third part of the bill is to really streamline that process. The idea with the data bill is not for it to be standalone legislation that passes, but hopefully will be an amendment to the FAST Act, to the reauthorization of the surface transportation bill. So that was our second imperative. And, And there's a theme with all these. These are existing bills that were in our 116th Congress that we think have a real opportunity to move in the 117th Congress. The last one is, is a, um, a bill that has been in, uh, endorsed by the Disability Coalition, and it's really the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. So it's really talking about how to make exercise equipment. You know, How many of us today feel a little uncomfortable going to a hotel gym and trying to independently operate the equipment in that gym? Or, go to uh, 24-hour fitness or Planet Fitness, all these different places. How how comfortable do you feel today going into those gyms and thinking that you're gonna get the access you need to have a good workout and feel comfortable in your community? So this is really looking at putting some some teeth, uh, things that are already there in the ADA, but really enhancing these a little bit to say, when you go to a gym, when you go to a hotel, what do we need to do to make that equipment accessible? We all know the technology is there. So the day where we have flat screens with push buttons that nobody can can detect or or understand if you're blind or visually impaired, we want to see that now take that next step where there's audio or it's accessible, where we can independently run the programs and get on our our treadmills or ellipticals, just like anyone else. The second part of the bill is really dealing with some education inside of venues that offer exercise equipment of what are the needs of the the disabled community? How can a yoga class be made accessible so we can enjoy it? Uh, how, How do you best educate the employees at gyms so they can can know how to deal with the uh, special needs of folks with a disability. So this is the Data Act, and, and we really are very excited that we it has been reintroduced into Congress as 1697 in this, this session. Uh, no, excuse me, that's the physical thing. We don't have a new bill on that one. That is bill, uh, 4165, 6541, I think it is. I get my numbers confused. Uh, But it has not been reintroduced yet, but we believe it will. And it's really being uh, headed by Senator Duckworth's office on the Senate side. That's Senate bill 1244, as well as Representative Young from Alaska. So they're supporting that bill. So those are truly our our three imperatives for this time. The other thing we spent a little bit time talking about was the, the Vision Caucus, which is uh, co-sponsored by Gus Belaracus, again, our representative from Florida, who is really looking to get a Vision Caucus really kind of regenerated uh, with our with our Congress for this year where to encourage representatives from across uh, the country to really come and participate in a, a caucus. Like there's a Black Caucus, a Hispanic Caucus, a Women's Caucus, there's all kinds of different Uh, caucuses inside of Congress, and we are really striving to get the vision caucus kind of regenerated and really push our advocacy forward with inside the Congress. So that was really what we spent most of our time talking about. And I'm, I think uh, just to time, Debbie, I'm going to turn it back over to you so we'll have time for our panel. Thank you all so much.
0: Well, hello, everybody. You know, there was a time when we were very active in the vision caucus. And I do wanna tell you that if it gets off the ground again, we all need to be contacting our members of the Florida congressional delegation because I sent out a letter with a link telling everybody about the vision caucus. And I cannot tell you how many responses I got back that says our member does not join caucuses. So let's see how this goes and let's see if we can't do our part to make our legislators in in the Florida congressional delegation understand the importance of this. I am now gonna call on a friend that his voice is very familiar through his work on Sunday edition, his blind pride programs that he so efficiently and wonderfully helps with and so many other things. And our friend Anthony Corona is not gonna share with you um, a bit of his own personal experience and how he felt about our trip to Capitol Hill. So Anthony, come on up.
6: So um, I was lucky enough to be able to experience both on the Hill last year and the virtual this year. And I'm a person who, if you see my Facebook, if you see my social media, I very much believe that if you have the time to put something on social media, you have the time to send a letter, send an email, make a phone call to your representatives. So to get the opportunity to walk the hill last year to do the virtual visits this year really was exciting for me. Um, I felt a big difference between the two years, definitely. I think like Dan said, they were more engaged. They asked more questions. They gave us more time. They seemed to be more they were able to really connect with us in a way that when we were standing in hallways sometimes or crowded into a small office for 15 minutes and then ushered back out. I felt very excited to be there last year, but I didn't think that the percentage of meetings that were successful this year was the same last year. I think that there was a lot of just guessing us and hearing, taking our package and, and moving us along where this year they sat, they asked questions, they're engaged. Like Dan's team, we had a couple of sessions that went over 45 minutes. Um, every single one of our, well, except for one, unfortunately, um, <laughs> we had a Senator that wasn't really there. LA wasn't really interested, um, but every single one of our meetings resulted in follow-up they wanted to speak with the national office. They wanted us to, They asked us questions. I had a voice that actually mattered. And I think advocacy is different for everyone. So I'm gonna be short so the other panelists get a chance to talk, but everyone has a voice. And I think if you stay complacent, if you don't use it in any way possible, you really don't have the right to complain that things aren't the way you want or need them to be. But advocacy is different for everyone. Sometimes it's fun walking on the hill and talking to the LAs. Sometimes it's writing letters. Sometimes it's making phone calls. Wherever your voice is strongest, please add it to the rest of ours because we're to- stronger. So we're together. We are so much stronger. And like Dan's fireside chat, that was amazing. I think we need to look beyond the blind and low vision community and really reach out to all of us that need a little bit of help. So thank you for letting me speak.
0: Before we take some final questions, I want to call together to the podium one of our newer members from the Orlando chapter who came with us to the virtual Hill visits, Mr. Tom Babcock, and with him, our friend and president for the last several years, um, Ms. Sheila Young. So would you two come and um, say a few words to us?
3: Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for having me here. And uh, this is my first time in-person convention. And uh, it was also my first time for the Legislative Committee this year virtually, uh, but it was, uh, it was great and all the good work that Debbie and Sheila and Anthony, and everybody put in, it was well worth it. It was educational for me. It got me intrigued and it was exciting because well, first of all, I was on the best team that we had, and <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was just fascinating that, like, like Anthony said, that everybody that we talked to was engaged in our conversation. They listened. They asked questions. Uh, they were responsive to all our personal stories about each referendum that we were uh, presenting to them. And as a, for an example, one of them was Elena with uh, Representative Hastings. We were talking about the fitness equipment, all that. And we decided that we bonded because we were both gym rats. And she said, uh, we were talking about the opposition about going into the gym. People don't put barbells back, people don't put dumbbells back, people don't clean the machines. And uh, so we kind of related to that and I told her my experience and she, her comment was, this has really opened my eyes. This is, and, and you know, it, what, what was really cool to me is like, did I spark an interest or did our team spark an interest? No matter who did, we still sparked an interest in somebody uh, in the right place, but it was fascinating. And thank you for all. The...
2: All I can say is I'm not going to say what everybody else has said. <laughs> I'm just going to say thank you to everybody that took part. It was exciting to have so many new people able to participate. And the highlight for me was we talked with the girl that we talked with last year. And we talked about the transportation and the sidewalks and safety. And she said, every time I walk down D.C. streets and I see scooters in the sidewalk, I get mad. (laughs) Because she remembered us talking about it last year. So we do make a difference, even though we don't think we do. And it's really cool that they do remember what you say. So, um, you know, just remember that anytime you get a chance to speak to them, they do listen and they do pay attention. And I do agree, they gave us much more time this year. And thank you to Debbie for all of her hard work.
0: Thank you, Sheila, and thank you for being our president and for representing us and working with us in such an inclusive, kind way. We appreciate it. Um, Our time is almost gone, but I'm going to allow two questions, but it' brief and no agenda, just a question that means something to you. So the first two hands that the mic runner sees will entertain your questions. Do we see anybody? Paul, if you say it, I'll do my best to repeat it if the mic isn't working. No. There Deborah,
5: This is Paul Edwards and I wanted to, to raise a question. We talked about the vision caucus at the federal level, but we used to have a pretty active vision caucus in the state legislature. And I've heard some rumors that folks are working to put it back together again. Do you have any information for us concerning that, or would would you perhaps commit to starting to work to see whether we can enliven it at the state level as well?
0: I'll tell you, um, when when we talk about our state presidencies, I was going to raise the issue of our vision caucus back in the day. And so I think it is well worth renewing our vigilance to make sure that that happens. And so, and we need people like you, Mr. Edwards. Nobody does this stuff by themselves. It's a team effort. So we will talk about that a bit tomorrow in my brief presentation as a past president, but you're right and and we do need one and we need to make sure that it remains committed and does not just do lip service. So we will, and we will require your help and assistance, all of you, and certainly you, Mr. Edwards, in making that happen. Thank you. Is there another question before we end? How often do we follow up after we meet with them? Or is it only once a year? No. Um, no. We, we, no, first of all, we have two ways of following up. We ourselves, our teams follow up with our members. I follow up with them also as your legislative chair, but we also have the most wonderful follow-up through our national office. And several times, and it's another anecdote I'll share tomorrow, our relationship with our Florida congressional delegation. No, it is not a once a year thing. It is a multi-level, multifaceted process whereby we keep our names and our issues before them. But thank you for asking. And finally, just to say the final touch on your question, any of you have the right and should reach out to your own legislators, whether it be within the state legislature Or whether it is your member of the of the congressional delegation so it doesn't just have to be certain people so if there's something you want to know something you want to say something you want to ask it is your right as a citizen to do that with that we are going to very quickly now bring our legislative seminar to a close i want to thank all of you who came and who asked questions, and I want to, I will be thanking her again, but I want to publicly thank in front of all of you again, Representative Eskamani. I'm not even in her district, and yet I, when I write to her office, when I write to her um, assistant, I am treated just as if I were living right here in Orlando, and she just is a wonderful person, and she adores Sheila, and she takes very seriously. So I bring that up to say, not only because of what she said to us today, but we all have the potential to become important to our own legislators. So I just wanna make that abundantly clear to each of you. And the final thing um, I'm going to say is that our committee remains open. We want to work with you. If you have things that you want to bring to us, Um, We are most anxious to hear them. And I want to thank you all. And a final thank you to our wonderful four teams that Anthony Corona put together to all of the people who gave of their time sacrificially and who made this happen. And you can be sure that one of the things our committee will be doing within the next few months is figuring out how we will bring the best of all of this to our meeting on Capitol Hill, our formal meeting, not our regular follow-ups, but our formal meeting on Capitol Hill. So we'll have it covered, we'll have it going on, and you will all be the first to know. And thank you all for being a part of the Florida Council of the Blind. We We all respect you, and we are so glad that you are included in our family. Thank you.